Picking up from last week, we're in the letter of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 9 through 14 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I pray that Pastor Wayne would speak boldly as he thinks through this prayer of the Pastor Paul for the people of God. May your word cut us deep this morning. May it attack our soul. May we be confronted with who you are and what you've done for us and what you have planned for us as we strive to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, in a manner worthy of the call that you've given us. Help us to do this. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us, who uses your word daily in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Help us to continue to be transformed in the image of your Son. And thank you for being a loving father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue our study in Colossians, uh, you might want to leave your Bibles open this morning as we just go through these, uh, these few verses, six verses. Um, as we have seen, the Apostle Paul is really celebrating a miracle. He's celebrating the miracle of this small but influential church in the Lycus Valley of Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today. And the reason he's celebrating is because this church has been under attack. They're being attacked from within by Judaizers who sought to mingle God's grace with legalistic adherence to feasts and festivals and rituals and traditions. And they're also getting bombarded by their culture outside of the church. A culture that's, that's saying that, that what you believe isn't true. That, that you need to have a knowledge of God that comes through mystic revelations. Now, later, they're going to identify this cultural attack and uh, in, in who it is that's doing this as Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And what they were saying is, look, Christ cannot be fully God. He can't be. And fully human. Because God is holy and all things that are flesh are evil. And so you, you, you can't, you can't um, believe that Christ is both God and man. So they said you can worship God in spirit and then live however you want in flesh. That's how they saw it. 
In other words, you can, you can have this upper story knowledge of God, but then in the lower story areas of life, there's, there's no connect there. And so Epaphras, who has started this church, has gone to Rome where Paul has been arrested and taken to be put on trial for preaching and teaching the truth. And he goes to give, them a, he goes to give Paul a report on this church, what they're dealing with, how they're doing. And while he is there, the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to, to write this letter. And if you look down at verse 9, where we pick up today, he says, I've not stopped praying for you. You're constantly on my mind. And, and what is he praying? He said that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, look at where he says to be filled. Verse 9, that means to be controlled by. When you're controlled by something, that's what influences your life, right? If you are um, filled with wine, you're under the influence of, of wine. I mean, there's no disconnect between your mind, your morality, and your driving. Whatever fills you controls you. So, therefore, when you are filled with the grace of God, when you are filled with the truth about Him, that controls your entire life. And so that's why Paul says, my prayer is that you be filled with epignosin, true knowledge. He doesn't want them to have a knowledge of God, but an epignosin, a true knowledge of the Lord that will control how they live and, and uh, that they might do that which is pleasing to the Lord. When you wake up in the morning... I'm praying that you will be under the influence of what is pleasing to the Lord. When you are driving, I pray that you will be under the influence of what is pleasing to the Lord. The way you speak to your children, how you address your boss or, or your employees, how you conduct your business, how you treat your wife, how you speak to your husband. I'm praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? Because Christianity does not have this dichotomy of, a, of an upper story belief system that is disconnected to a lower story way of living. What the Gnostics are telling you is not true. That's not Christianity. What they are saying is the basis for Hinduism. It's the basis for Buddhism. That you can be spiritually enlightened with these high and lofty ideas of God through mysticism. And it has nothing to do with how you immorally are living in the lower stories of your life in relations to other people. He's saying that's not who you are in Christ. In other words, you know, you can attend church. You can sing hymns. You can take communion. You can give an offering. You can carry a Bible. You can put a bumper sticker on your car that says, Beware in case of rapture. But if you're not controlled by truth that is pleasing to the Lord, it's not Christianity. It's just not. So Paul says, I'm constantly praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Meaning you must filter this stuff the culture is giving you. You've got to filter it through this gnosis. The, the, all this gnosis stuff has to be filtered through epignosin. Epignosin, the truth. If you're going to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. 
Now look at verse 10. You see, so as, that means there's a cause and effect, right? A guy under the influence of the Holy Spirit walks in a manner worthy of the Lord. Our walk is the everyday pitter-patter of life. It's the way we talk. It's the way we work. It's the way we use our money. It's the way uh, we live, either morally or immorally. And for you teens out there, and I know we have a lot of young people in this church, a lot of young people, this has to do with the way you treat your mother. Or maybe I should say your father, since this is Father's Day. It's the way you dress. It's the integrity with which you take your test. It's the attitude that you display within your home. That's your walk. You know, the the word for walk in Hebrew is a metaphor for conduct because knowledge and conduct were always woven together. Uh, That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 23, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How you think in your heart determines how you live your life. Now, the word for walk here, this is in Greek. And so what does Paul use? Peripatesi. What's that? Well, in Greece, they, they had what was called the peripatetic school. It dates back to the 4th century B.C. And this is the reason it was called that is because the students would walk alongside Aristotle through the streets of Athens as he was teaching. And his views became their views. That's their walk. That's their walk. As they walked with him and heard him teach, they took his views and adopted them to their life, and that is then how they lived as his followers. Now, that's the word Paul uses here for walk, peripatesi. The other word here that you see is worthy, axio, from which we get axis. Um, an axis is something that, that it goes through the middle, right? Uh, we get the word axle from that. Well, what is an axle? It goes through the middle of your wheels so they turn evenly as you drive down the road. Well, as the axis of the earth runs north and south through this planet, it's what the earth turns on in a balanced way. Well, the term axio means balance. That's all. Your walk, your peripatesi, is balanced with epinosin, with the truth, the truth. Your walk and truth go together. In other words, you practice what you preach. What you claim to believe is how you actually live. You're not claiming one thing as the Gnostics would and then living another way. No, 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 no. That's hypocrisy. So in the everyday pitter-patter of your life, it is balanced between truth and life. What you think governs how you live. So don't claim to be a Christian and then think that you can live immorally. That's what the Gnostics were saying. That, that, that's the dichotomy of Gnosticism. It is not the dichotomy of Christianity. To describe what walk in a worthy manner means, Paul uses four participles. Now for you young people who haven't got to this in school yet, what is a participle? It is a verbal adjective. A verbal adjective, a verb that modifies other words like an adjective would do or like an adverb would do. 
And it often shows up in the English translation with ing at the end of the word. So do you see the first participle in verse 10? What is it? When you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that is pleasing to him, what does it look like? What's the first one? Bearing fruit in every good work. That's pretty simple, isn't it? In other words, Christ didn't save you from sin, so you could continue to live in sin. Is that not Paul's point to the, to the Romans? Chapter 7? Is that not what Christ said in John 15? He says, listen, you will bear much fruit, proving you are my disciples. Why? Because I'm the vine, you are the branches. You can't claim to be connected to me as my church and then live in ways that are in rebellion to God's holy will. You can't do that. What the culture is telling you is a lie because they dwell in spiritual darkness. So how will we know if you are filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? How will we know that? Well, James tells you. James says, I'm going to show you what I believe. You'll see it in how I live. You claim to be in Christ? We'll see. We'll see. Are you bearing fruit in every good work? Now, what's the second part of simple in verse 10? You see the other one? Look for the ING. Increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, this goes beyond your Bible study. It's good that you read your Bible every day. It's good that you meet in a small group. But it has to, what you are reading, what you are learning, what you are knowing about the Lord has to be balanced with how you are living. How you treat your family indicates that you know the Lord. Your language indicates you know the Lord. The way you work indicates you know the Lord. That's all he's saying. There's just no area outside of your life that is outside the Lordship of Christ. There's no area within your life that is outside the Lordship of Christ. No area whatsoever. To know God doesn't mean we just go to church and then, I mean, it's been taught now for, for decades, going all the way back to the late 1800s. It's been claimed that you can be slain in the Spirit. Some fall on the ground, babble in ecstatic utterances. That's being spiritual. Look, being spiritual is not getting more of God. Being spiritual is when the Lord gets more of you. We don't need a second blessing. You know why? Because we're complete in Christ. We don't need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know why? We receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit at conversion. So is it possible? Is it possible to have a testimony? To put a Bible on my desk? A beware of rapture sticker on my car? And pray in ways that almost sound angelic? And not have a walk that, is balances, that balances my profession of faith? with how I live in ways that are pleasing to him? Is that possible? Yes, it is. It's called hypocrisy. That's why Paul prays for them. He prays for them. I want you to have an increasing knowledge of the Lord. Why? It will lead to a God-honoring life of obedience.
I don't want you engaged in this mystical stuff. That's hypocrisy. This is the way Paul said it to the Corinthians. When he writes to the Corinthian church, he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, that word tongues there, glossolalia, is languages. It's a language. It's not ecstatic utterance. It's a language. If I can do that and I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong, just a clanging cymbal. If, if I had prophetic powers and I understood all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains even, I don't have love, I, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, I'm the most generous person on earth. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm a martyr for Christ. I don't have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. What's his point? To claim that I believe one way while I am living another reveals that I'm nothing but a hypocrite. See, the problem with Christianity is not that the Lord is lacking in any way, and it's not that the Bible is irrelevant, even though that's what many pastors would say today. You know, the reason they don't do expository teaching is because they think what they have to say about what makes you a better person is better than what the Lord has said about who you are as a person in Christ. That's not the problem. You know what the problem is? The problem is the tongue that blesses the Lord, claiming to believe in Christ, and then speaks harshly, harshly, of those within the body. James says that is a problem. That out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This ought not be, he said. I mean, does a spring pour forth with the same opening, both fresh and salt water? I mean, can a fig tree yield olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? No, neither can a saltwater pond yield fresh water, James 3. In other words, his point is this, God honoring the fruit that comes from our life, that is pleasing to the Lord, that comes as our increasing knowledge of his truth is, is impacting how we live, it needs to be balanced between what I believe and how I live. There needs to be an axis there. Knowledge results in wisdom when we apply his truth to how we live. That's knowledge that results in wisdom. So to walk in a manner pleasing to him involves bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in our knowledge of him. So what's the third part of Sip? So well, that, that one doesn't have I-N-G here. It's strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Have you ever known anyone who had a marvelous faith as long as they were singing hymns like we sang this morning? Marvelous faith. But when the doctor brought bad news or when the boss jumped their case, they absolutely fell apart. I mean, their, their faith is just wonderful while they're in Sunday school. The problem is, is when they leave here, their faith cannot navigate the tempestuous seas of life. And so that's why Paul writes here, notice the word all is used twice. One is in heaven, all power. The other is on earth, all endurance. The resources of the Lord's omnipotence, 
His resources are the means for our endurance, the means for our patience, and how we can do it with joy. You know, we have some within this church, I was talking with one this week, they have gone through what I think is probably the most painful thing you can go through in this life. They lost a child. They buried a child. Talked to another fellow that lost his job. Um, there are some within this church that know exactly what it feels like to lose your mate. And you know what? If bad things haven't happened to you yet, I, I find it hard to believe that hasn't happened. But if that is the case, you're in the bullpen. Because we live in a fallen world. And in due time, bad things will happen to all of us. All of us. Do you see what Paul writes here about glorious might? That's not the word for power, dunamis. It's the word kratos. You know what it means? There is a divine omnipotence. In other words, when, when Job lost his children and his health and all that he had, when, when, when Jonah was thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish, not a pleasant experience, when David, King David, of all people, hiding for his life in the cave of Adullam. And Daniel, Daniel, just because he would not give up his life of prayer, is led into a den full of lions. Or Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names were Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. They're led into a, a, a fiery furnace. Or, or what about when Christ was nailed to a cross? As horrible as life can be, through every one of those instances, you know what it has in common? There was not a single time when they were going through these horrific experiences because of this fallen world that the word ever ceased to be holy and omnipotent. So Paul's point is this. We are not a people who hold to these great doctrinal truths and then we bail when bad things happen. We're not a people who hold to great doctrinal truths and then we can't be kind. We can't be civil to our spouse when we're under stress. The glorious might of our Lord enables us. He enables us to be strong in every situation, to endure and to be patient with great joy. Now, how are we to experience this? If we neglect his word, if we neglect wise counsel from those within his church, if we neglect obedience to his will, we will never know, never know what he's talking about. You know why? Because the strength of which Paul speaks comes to those who walk in a worthy manner, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. They are the ones who are strengthened for all endurance and patience. So he says, I'm praying for you. What are you praying, Paul? That you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? So you can walk in a worthy manner, bearing fruit in every good work and obedience. And as you increase in your knowledge of the Lord through his word, you're going to be strengthened with all power by his glorious might. That's how you're going to endure tough times. That's how you will develop patience. What is the difference between endurance and patience? Endurance has to do with your circumstances. Patience has to do with people. 
The Lord often uses difficult times to chasten us, sometimes to refine us, to strengthen our faith. You know, when I, I look back on 50 years of ministry, um, I've gone through, there, there are certain points along that way that I would consider to be the toughest times of my life, and I do not want to repeat them because they were not pleasant. So don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying, oh, that was a wonderful experience. No, it was not a wonderful experience. But there were some wonderful lessons that I learned through those horrible experiences. So therefore, I would not take anything for what the Lord permitted me to go through because they were so beneficial. And where did I get the strength to endure? I can assure you of this, it did not come from me. Uh, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I've read Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God. He, everything Jerry has written has been just terrific, but, but his book, Trusting God, has been a real blessing to my life. And as I would read that book, when I would go through tough times, I would also go to my Bible and I would read scripture passages that he had written about as he was talking about what his life went through when he had cancer what his life had gone through when he was going through just some horrific circumstances with his family. And as I read his perspective, his counsel, as I read that along with my reading of God's word, I, I, tried, I tried to take that truth that I believe and have it impact how I lived in a way that was truly worthy of the holy God who has saved me for those purposes. And you know what? By his might, he did strengthen me. He strengthened me. And I look back on those times now with great thanksgiving. And you know, most of the difficulties that arise in ministry usually always have to do with people because, I mean, we live in a fallen world, right? And sometimes there have been unfair accusations. Sometimes there have been just outright lies. <laughs> and I was able to kind of take comfort through those times because of, of several things. First of all, the counsel I received from Jerry Bridges. And also, I think it was Harry Ironside that said, you know, I, I take great comfort in knowing whatever was said about me, even though it might be a lie, it's actually, I, I'm actually worse. I'm actually worse than what they said. That brings me comfort. Um, but as I, as I went through that, I learned that I could trust him because of the truth, the epinosis that I knew. I knew the truth about the Lord. And then it was by his glorious might that I was able to get through it in a way that I hope was God-honoring. You know, Peter, when he talks about this, he says he looks to Christ. He looks to Christ who endured the cross and trusting himself to the Lord who judges justly. Where does that come from? Peter will give you testimony. It does not come from the flesh. That's not how the flesh responds. If you are going to respond correctly in a way that honors the Lord, even to injustice, it has to come from the Lord whereby you are trusting his sovereign will to work all things together for your good and his glory. 
He has a purpose. Whether I understand or not doesn't make any difference, does it? I live by faith, not by sight. So when he says you overcome evil with good, how, how would responding in the flesh benefit anyone if I were to do that? How does that, how does that benefit anyone? Now you might think, well, I don't know if I could do that or not. To trust the Lord in the midst of an injustice. I've got to speak up. Well, I can assure you, you probably can't do it. But he can. He can. When you trust in him according to his word, you know what? He does strengthen you with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. And he doesn't say it's always going to be enjoyable. There's a big difference between being happy and being joyful. Happy has to do with our circumstances. And when we have bad circumstances, we are not happy. But when we are going through tough times and we know one thing is for sure, I am vertically right with the Lord regardless of what is happening horizontally in my life. There is joy in knowing that he approves. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for joy here, kodos, is the same root word from which we get the word gift and grace. Whether you are enduring tough times or being patient with difficult people, there is a joy, a gift from the Lord that comes from knowing there's just no safer place to be than in the center of his will. And so Paul tells these young Christians, listen, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you will walk in a worthy manner, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in knowledge, strengthening in his power, enduring tough times as you are patient with these people who are seeking to do you harm. And you do all of this with great joy. And what's the fourth participle? Do you see it? Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks? For what? who has qualified you to share in an inheritance of the saints in light. That means intellectually that which is true and morally that which is pure. Well, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness, didn't he? He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, I've got a lot to be grateful for. A lot to be, and none of which I deserve. None of it. How can we endure injustice? How can we be patient with people we know are trying to do us wrong, as the Gnostics were doing to them in that day? How can we do that? The strength comes from the Lord. And how do we do that with great joy? By giving thanks for what the Lord has done for us. Did you see all those perfect tense verbs? You know what a perfect tense in Greek means? It means it's something that was accomplished in the past that has continuing impact. He has qualified us to share an inheritance we don't deserve. We didn't earn that. Christ qualified us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's the demonic realm that once enslaved us, just like he was enslaving the Gnostics of that day. He did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He provided for our redemption and forgiveness of sins. Wow. He did all of this for us? Yeah. And not only that, but while we were yet sinners, while we were still in rebellion, he did that for us. So if we need to be long-suffering with others, given what he has done for us, should we do that grumbling? 
Or should we do that full of gratitude? Just grateful, grateful for what the Lord has done. How thankful are you when times are tough? You know, Northwestern University, which is in Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago, it began back in 1853, which is before the Civil War. And uh, this is at a time when that was the northwest part of our, our, of our country. And uh, the school was founded there on the shores of Lake Michigan. And so they trained back in those days a life-saving team of swim swimmers because lots of people would, would um, instead of going by land, they would go by boat. So you could go from Chicago up the shores of Lake Michigan to Milwaukee. And, uh, and yet there were times when the, the, uh, these little insufficient boats uh, would spring a leak or they would run into one another or they would have problems. And so they, they, they trained many of their, their students to be servants of the community that they would go out and help save people who would have otherwise drowned. And, and so in 1860, right before the Civil War started, there was a ship named Lady Elgin. And this, this little boat was traveling from Chicago to Milwaukee when it ran into a, another boat. The, the waves from the lake clashed these two boats together, and as a result, Lady Elgin sprung a leak. Among the life-saving team of students was a young ministerial student named Edward Spencer. He was one of, of several who, who was called to action that day. And uh, it is recorded in history that he saved 17 people. 17 people. The exposure to the elements. How he had gone overboard in, in the giving of himself in order to save the lives of others, ruined his health, kept him from going into ministry. And so years later, there was a guy named R.A. Torrey. Many of you probably have heard of him. He worked with Dwight L. Moody in Chicago in the ministry there. And uh, he, he actually got to meet Edward Spencer. And he asked him, he said, what's the most memorable, most memorable thing about that event that day? What do you most remember about that, that, that day in September of 1860 when you saved 17 people? And Spencer, whose health had, had suffered for years and as a result of his heroic selflessness was not able to ever go into ministry, but he thought for a moment and he said to Tori, the one thing I remember most, that which stands out to me the most, is not a single one of those 17 people I saved ever said thank you. Not one. How does your life say thank you to the Lord given what he has done? I mean, he's qualified you to share in an eternal inheritance you don't deserve. He delivered you out of the domain of darkness so that you didn't have to live the rest of your life being a fool. He transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son, that you're a part of his body. He redeemed you that your sin might be forgiven. You don't have to satisfy the just wrath of God. He did that for you. How grateful are you? How grateful are you? Can people see your gratitude in the, in the fruitfulness of your service to Christ, in the fruitfulness of your giving, in the fruitfulness of your portrayal of Christ in every aspect of your life? Can they see it? 
man, as I'm wrestling with this this week, you know, I come under conviction because I, I do fall short. And trust me, when you're disappointed with me, I am more disappointed with me than you are. But I think we all come up short to one degree or another, don't we? But when I do, rather than giving up, I choose to repent. And then I pray, as Paul prayed for them. Oh, Lord, I don't want to repeat this tomorrow. I want to live in a, in a way that is truly worthy, truly worthy of the grace that you have given me in my life. And it's not because I'm trying to earn any points with the Lord. I just want to show him that I'm truly grateful for his mercy and grace. I'm grateful. I mean, he qualified me for an eternal inheritance that I don't deserve. He delivered me from spiritual darkness that enslaved me. He transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. He redeemed me that I might proclaim Christ to a world lost in sin. Do you see the basis for giving thanks to the Father even when you're going through bad times? Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae is my prayer for you and for me. If you are grateful for what the Lord has done for you, and you want to walk in a worthy manner, a manner worthy of the Lord who is holy, who is gracious and merciful, and you're struggling with that, listen, we'd love to help you. That's why we have the connect table, or you can go to any me or any one of our elders, as, as Spurgeon would say, I'll be glad to meet with you in my study. 